Good morning, Church. Today we will continue our study of the parables from Matthew 13. And today we're going to study the parable of the weeds. So you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, and we are going to study verses 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. Last week we looked at the first parable in a series of parables. Parables are illustrations that use relatable stories and images to teach us about Jesus and his kingdom. In the parable of the sower, Jesus told a story about a farmer broadcasting seeds onto the field. Because he was casting them onto a large area, the seeds landed on four different types of soils or growing media. Because the soil wasn't healthy, the seeds perished. Some never took root. Some took root but were killed early because there wasn't enough soil. Of course, others took root but were crowded out by thorns and weeds. And yet, the ones that landed on the healthy, deep soil grew into healthy plants that bore fruit. Of course, this was a metaphor for what happens when the word of God is preached. Some people respond with unbelief. Others are excited yet fall away after they face trials. Some believe but are distracted and drawn away by the cares, cares of the world. And yet others, who uh, we would call God's people, persevere through unbelief, through trial, through temptation, and they go on to bear fruit. And not only do we go on to bear fruit, but we also join Jesus' work in sowing the word of God into the world and into people's lives. And so today we're going to look at the parable of the weeds, or in some translations, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Here, Jesus sticks with this agricultural theme because, once again, it's something that people, it's, it's a way that people understand and can learn about what Jesus is saying. And yet, for those who uh, are not really interested in learning, this parable uh, also has the ability to conceal the truth. Last week, Jesus' parable highlighted the seed as the word of God without defect being received in different ways. However, this week, the parable changes course and highlights two different types of seeds sown by two different types of sowers. And so feel free to pause the recording and go ahead and read through Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. And then if you are listening to this in a group, perhaps someone in the group can pray that the Holy Spirit teaches us what the Bible is teaching. Great. Now that you've read the passage on your own, first, let's look at the battle between the sowers. Verses 24 to 29 highlights this battle in story form. In this story, we see that there is a man who sows wheat in his field. This is called good seed. It is exactly what he wants to sow. However, while his team was sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed seeds among the wheat and took off. Soon after, the servants somehow know that this has happened and they report the crime to their master. Historically, these seeds that or these these plants uh, that that the enemy sown was a plant called darnel. Jesus's audience would know exactly what was happening because it was a common plant in that time. Darnel is a plant that resembles wheat so much that it is basically impossible to tell the difference until they are in their, in their final form. In Roman society, planting darnel in someone's field was an indictable offense. In the best case scenario, planting darnel in your neighbor's field would ruin his crop. This is explained in verse 29. When the servants offer to pull up what they expect to be darnel, the master tells them not to because 
The darnel plants were planted so close to the wheat that they would ruin the roots of the wheat if you pulled the darnel up. And also because they look so similar that they would also probably pull up some wheat in the process as well. This would go ahead and ruin the farmer's harvest and his livelihood. However, in the worst case scenario, darnel would kill people because it is poisonous. If farmers unknowingly harvested the darnel heads with the wheat and then grinded it down together, they would inadvertently taint and poison their uh, the, the, their pool of wheat and they would possibly kill their customers without knowing exactly where the poison came from. And so for that reason, this was a very illegal and immoral thing to do. As I studied this, this parable, um, the one thing I struggle with personally was trying to derive a very precise, I guess, theological framework out of this parable. And sometimes it can get really distracting. So you sit there and you say, how did the enemy plant? How does the enemy plant or sow, uh, you know, bad seeds into the world? And, you know, you start going down a rabbit trail where you start to want to uh, map every single thing out and try to come up with a, uh, a, an accurate image of the kingdom. While Jesus' teachings can teach us an awful lot about his kingdom, which is his goal, of course, it is hard to try to paint some sort of exhaustive and complete theological picture of exactly how the kingdom operates. Rather, what Jesus is doing with these parables is he's trying to teach concepts and elements from Jesus' kingdom. And so today we have to look at, we have to ask ourselves, what concept is he teaching with, with this parable? One of those concepts that he's teaching is between the battle, between the sower and the enemy. Very plainly, Jesus explains that the enemy is the devil and that the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And so, this is a very good time to briefly talk about Satan. Satan is depicted in the Bible as God's enemy. Again and again, we learn that Satan hates God and hates God's people and will do anything to kill and destroy and rob from those people. Last week, we saw that Satan works overtime in a pretty repetitive way. Matthew 13 verse 19 says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Regularly when we see unbelief or when we see people are attacked or people are kept from understanding and embracing the gospel, there's almost always um, has some sort of involvement with the evil one who comes in and steals away the truth and does not allow it to take root. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 confirms this. Speaking of the gospel being hidden from those who don't believe, Paul says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you see what the devil is called in that passage? He is called the God of this world. And so it is important to see that Satan is indeed powerful and is working and yet, throughout the scriptures, Satan is described as also someone who is limited and given temporary authority. You see, even though Satan is powerful, he is on a temporary and limited short leash. And so, as we look at the battle between the two sowers, it's not really a true battle, right, church? Which leads to the second point, the understanding that the battle between Satan is no real battle at all because Jesus Christ is in control of his kingdom. And that's my second point. 
We can see this amazing truth play out in this very parable itself in two very specific ways. Let's look at how Jesus controls his kingdom. First, let's look at verses 28 to 29. The servants asked the master, Then, do you want us to go out and gather them? The master responds, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. The master definitely understands he will hurt the wheat and ruin his harvest. It is important to note that the master is in complete control. While the enemy has meant to do harm to the man's fields and crop, the master is in control. Look at how he answers the servant with deep precision in verse 30. He says, Let both grow together until the harvest. Looking at Jesus' interpretation of the parable, he explains exactly what the parable, what, what the word harvest means in verse 39. He says, the harvest is at the end of the age. For the servants, they are threatened by the presence of the wheat. They are offended and they want to do something about it because they're good servants. But for the master, he is cool. He is calm. He's collected. Instead of panicking or doing something that could potentially ruin his wheat, the master decides to let them grow side by side until he is ready. What we know biblically is that when he is ready is what we call the end of the age, or some people would say the fullness of time. We can learn about that from this passage here and see that uh, truth about Jesus' kingdom here in this story. While we may be overwhelmed and distraught at times, we must never remember that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is in full, absolute control of his kingdom. Though he knows his people struggle and are in pain, at the right and at the wise time, Jesus Christ will return to bring in his harvest and get his people. Amen, church? This leads to the second way that Jesus Christ is in control. Not only is he intentional with how he leaves his people to dwell in a sinful world according to his wisdom, but Jesus also knows exactly what he'll do with the weeds. The second half of verse 30 says, And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, Bind them in bundles to be burned. Quite literally, this teaches us that Jesus will gather them and burn them. This leads to a very hard truth that we need to handle, and this is the truth about hell. While there are so many different views on what happens after we die and what happens in hell, if there is a hell, Jesus gives us a very clear explanation of what hell is and how that drives with the rest of the Bible. There are many people who will also say stuff like Jesus never taught about a literal hell. This is not true. And if we look at verses 40 to 42, they're hard words, but they're words that Jesus Christ himself spoke and speaks about a very literal type of place, which the book of Revelation will later go on to describe as a lake of fire. So I'll just read these verses here. Verse 40 says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that our natural inclination is to want to hide from this truth, but let's take Jesus' words at face value. In this section, we see two parts. We see this, the, the harvesting and then the burning. Revelation chapter 14 verses 14 to 19 speaks of this harvest that we are to expect and it overlaps with Jesus' words in a really almost eerie way because of how similar the wording is. I'll just read that out loud for you guys. 
Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 says, And I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was the one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. See how the scripture, uh, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. And this is perfect in verse 14. Anyways, verse 15 says, And then another angel came out of the temple and call called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And so what we see here is that in a moment's notice, Jesus will send his angels to harvest from the earth both the godly and the ungodly. The reason why Jesus waits until the end to harvest is because, just like the wheat and the darno, it is in the end that we can fully see the difference between those two plants. Similarly, Jesus' timing is wise. When he returns, his angels will harvest twice, with God's people going one way and Satan's children going another way. While this is hard to accept and pushes against our culture's understanding of life, this world is not like a pack of crayons, each of us with our own use and shade. Rather, biblically we see that there are only two types, wheat and tares, wheat and darnel, sheep and goats, those who walk on the wide path and those who walk the straight and narrow those who obey and those who disobey. For Jesus, the distinction is stark and extremely black and white. For him, there's no ambiguity. Anyways, that's the harvest part. And then the burning part is closely related but separate. The Bible teaches us that after Jesus pours out his wrath on the sons of disobedience in great display, they are killed in what is called the first death. But then Jesus continues in verse uh, Revelation 20, verses 12 to 15. He says, and I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the ones who were in them, and they were judged, each of them according to what they had done. Then, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so essentially what we see here is that basically when Jesus returns uh, to bring his people home, the book of Revelation recounts a bunch of different ways that Jesus pours his wrath out on the earth. And it is a very uh, obviously debated thing about when that'll happen and in what order. And I don't really mean to get into that, but essentially what happens is Jesus, upon Jesus' return, um, uh, the p people who don't know him, the people who are called sons of disobedience are slayed and, and God's wrath is poured out on them. And then after that, it says here that those people are raised from the dead. It says death and Hades gave up the dead. So picture death and Hades almost like, no, take them back. 
And so they are resurrected, and the Bible teaches that all will be resurrected, both good and evil. After resurrection happens, God's people are taken to to uh, paradise to be with Jesus, while those who don't know him are judged according to their deeds. And then it says here, after their deeds are judged, they are thrown into the lake of fire, which is called the second death. Verse 15 clarifies who, who in fact, is judged at, the, at this judgment time. And it says anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life. And so, in summary, while we may feel as though God has lost control of everything down here, I want us to remember that Jesus is 100% sovereign. First, he will return at the end of the age according to God's timing and wisdom. Second, he will harvest the weeds out of the field. He will separate the wheat and the chaff, the wheat and the tares. And third, he will burn the weeds in the lake of fire, where the smoke of their torment will rise up forever and ever, which is from Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. We also see in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, that Satan is also cast into this same lake of fire, where he is tormented day and night along with his people. And so both the sower and the seeds are harvested out of this field and are um, handled in Jesus's way. And so if you're hearing this and you are shocked, I want to read a quote from you from J.C. Ryle. Hear this quote, and I, and I pray that you would consider your life and, and listen to, hear Jesus. Jesus says, uh, if any man has ears, let him, let him listen. Uh, if you have ears to hear, then hear. I want you to hear this passage, uh, this quote from J.C. and and, and I pray that it would penetrate your heart. He says, Let the ungodly man tremble when he reads this parable. Let him see in its fearful language his own certain doom, unless he repents. Let him know that he is sowing misery for himself if he goes on still in his neglect of God. Let him reflect that his end will be to, gathered, to be gathered among the bundles of weeds and be burned. Surely such a prospect ought to make a man think. If this if the, if this is something that you is pressed on your heart and you're hearing this and you're um, you don't really like the the prospect of hell, then I pray that that would speak to you in some way. Anyways, lastly, we must look at the last reality we learn in this agricultural parable, and that is what happens to the wheat. While the parable portion in verses twenty four to thirty doesn't address it, Jesus clarifies what happens to the wheat in verses in verse forty three. It says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Brothers and sisters, this is a, a beautiful truth. This is a truth that has been afforded to us, of course, by the finished work of Jesus who died on the cross. All of the wrath that was due to us, like the weeds, was cast onto Jesus Christ. He bore our sins. Amen. He bore our wrath. Amen. He took our place. Right, church? And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we no longer have to fear death. Jesus commands that anyone who sins must surely die. And this did happen. Instead of it happening to us, it happened to Jesus. And because of Jesus' death, we no longer must die. And because he is no longer dead, then we will also live. These beautiful truths is what affords us the right to be considered righteous and, and what affords us the opportunity and the privilege to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father of our Father. 
the way that we have access or for, for anyone who believes and anyone who does not yet believe, the way that we have access to this beautiful opportunity can be found in Romans chapter 10, verse 19, which tells us that if, we de- if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you heard the part about hell and was shocked, I want you to hear this loud and clear. This doesn't have to be your final reality. I pray that you declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray that you believe in his death and resurrection today. And I pray that you repent of your sins and follow Jesus today. Brothers and sisters, the harvest time is coming. Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back to get us and he will harvest us. He will bring us to be with him. If you are looking for more encouragement, uh, more promises that outline what will happen when he comes back and what, how he will bless and take care of his church, I want you guys to read Revelations chapter 2 to 3, which outline, which are the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. At the end of each letter to each church, Jesus outlines a blessing, a promise, a way that he will bless each church. And they're beautiful. Um, they're, they're, it's a little bit long, so I'm not going to read them right now. But if you have time, look at those promises and see what he will do. Uh, promises that look just like this promise to shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Church, our Lord Jesus is coming back. And so to close off, I want to read us another quote from J.C. Ryle, which says, Let the believer in Christ take comfort when he reads this parable. Let him see there is happiness and safety prepared for him in the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God will proclaim no terror for him. They will summon him to join what he has long desired to see, a perfect church and a perfect communion of saints. How beautiful will the whole body of, of believers appear when finally separated from the wicked? How fine will the wheat look in the barn of God when the weeds are at length taken away? How brightly will great grace shine when no longer dimmed by incessant contact with the worldly and unconverted? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this parable. I pray that we would see that there is a battle going on between you and the, and the enemy, Satan. I pray, God, that you would help us to resist the devil so that he may flee from our lives and help us to stand up under, uh, even though we know who the devil is, I pray that you would help us to not be uh, fooled by his, his schemes. Help us to be sober-minded so that we may not be devoured by Satan, who is like a lion seeking someone to devour. But Father, I thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, death has lost, lost this thing. And ultimately, the serpent has been defanged. I thank you for the promise in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, which uh, talks about the serpent being cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Father, we know that is not no true battle at all. We know that Jesus Christ has secured the win. And we know that when Jesus Christ com- comes back, he will enact his sovereignty. He will come back for us and he will burn uh, the enemy and all of the, the, the weeds that have entangled our lives for so long. Father, I pray that you give us compassion for those who are perishing. Give us um, unction to preach the gospel to them. 
And I pray, God, that you would encourage our hearts and show us this great promise that you are coming back for us, and that you will bless us and that you will bring us together and you will remove and cast all sin away from us, that we may be able to worship you and follow you without any limitation forever and ever, we pray. Amen.